We are going on tour. The Glamorous Trash Podcast and my book tour have collabed and we're coming to a city near you. Click the link in the show notes to to get all of the deets. We're coming to New York City. On June 4th, we are kicking off an event with Jon Stewart. No big deal. That's our very first show in New York City. Then we're coming to Washington, D.C., Nashville, Chicago, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles. So get your tickets now. We are doing three different events because, you know, I'm always doing the most. That's just on brand, right? First, there's a glamorous trash party. It's the podcast meets the book tour meets Coachella, a live show featuring podcast segments, book segments, a very special guest. And of course, there's a runway walk at the end for people to show off their fits because the dress code to every event is obviously glamorous trash. We are also doing a cookie country club. It's the anti-country club country club. And it's very dreamy. You get like a bunch of products. There's little events. And it's a more intimate event where you meet other cookies and listen to a book chat with what me and another special guest and then the final event the behind the bangs writing workshop i finally did it put it together put together this workshop because i wrote this book in many ways for younger me and younger me would not have gotten off her couch unless there was also a workshop being taught i wanted the gyms i wanted i wanted the knowledge i wanted the education that's what i would have wanted so i've decided i'm doing it and in the workshop is going to be the six writing gyms that took me forever to learn 15 years in my 15 year career as a tv writer and author and blah 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 all the other things i've written there are six things that i always use and all of those are in this workshop so if you have an interest in writing sign up all the ticket links are live today click the show notes click my instagram we are coming to a city near you and there's going to be some meet and greets i'll sign some copies of books we'll give out more books and i have uh, some pieces of merch that i'm taking on the road and i'm gonna give them out at the shows Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates female celebrity memoirs. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes. I'm a TV writer, comedian, and filmmaker, and sometimes I'm in stuff too. Now, before I forget, if you want to read along with the podcast or just want to know what episodes are coming up, we have a newsletter. We will link to it in show notes. You just sign up. I send you the reading list every month and some recommendations for other things I am loving. Now, today we are reading Gina Yashere's memoir, published in 2021, Titled Cack Handed. And we have a very special reason for choosing this book for this episode, which we will get into when I bring my guest in. But I will say that Gina herself came on this podcast, I believe it was a New Year's episode. Not this New Year's. It was last New Year's. And she talked about the book herself. We did a little interviewing about the memoir, the process. It's a great episode. Go check it out. And because of that, when we recap this podcast today, I'm going to angle it towards the things you didn't hear on that episode, specifically going to talk about her comedy career. And also, I want to give a big shout out to my friend, Nate Chetty, who writes on Bob Hart's Abby Shola on CBS, where Gina Yashere is an executive producer, and she's just running that game. And so uh, he is the one who connected us and brought her on the podcast the first time. And now we're diving into her book. Uh, My mother went to England from Nigeria, West Africa. Nigeria, West Africa. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, My mother had the pick of the globe. She could have gone anywhere in the world, people. Anywhere in the world. I can imagine her in Nigeria with all her maps spread out before her. Okay, where shall I go? Where shall I go? You know what? I am fed up with the sun. 
want to go somewhere with a lot of drizzle and subtle racism. Joining us today is a comedic writer and stand-up hailing all the way from Anchorage, Alaska. She was a featured artist in the Alaska Before You Die Festival and performs all over LA, including the Hollywood Improv, the Ice House Comedy Club, and is a member of the Universal Thousand Miles Project, the inaugural class. We'll get into it. Please welcome Allie Lou. Hi, Chelsea. Thank you so much for coming on. We have so much to dive into. So before we talk about why we chose this book, I think we should start with the story of how we first met. That's how I intro all my guests. Now, do you remember this story? Because I vividly remember it. I remember meeting you at Marcella's Women Crush Wednesday. It was like my first real show. Yeah. It was my first real show. And um, I had just been like open micing myself into oblivion. And uh, I miraculously got on this show, saw you and was like, yep, that's that's who I want to to be. That's... So nice. And I want to shout out Marcella because I think she specifically opened up her show. She was just like, send me your tape. I will watch it. Um, It's a show that only features women. And so I think it's like how she like got so many great performers uh, on the show and also gave people a chance who like had been open micing who like deserved a real show. It was really cool of her. This is exactly how we met, which will be in my emblazoned in my mind forever. (laughs) So I had just done a set about uh, not knowing who my dad dad, is. And and, uh, there was a lot of, it's a lot of dark jokes. And I came on stage, I was sitting at the bar with all the other standups. And then Allie performed her set and it was fantastic. She comes right off stage, walks straight up to me (laughs) and... (laughs) Uh, and says, I loved your set. My dad killed himself on April Fool's Day. Do you want to be my friend? I I was possessed. I was overcome because I had never heard anyone kind of share like that before, you know? And and not only that, but share with jokes. Sharing with structure, I'm so horny for it. And I, <laughs> and I was just like, I if she can do that, like I can do anything. And and that was kind of like the start of my stand-up because after I met you, I wrote this entire thing <gasps> down. What am I looking at? Okay, so this is five minutes, zero to five okay. seconds. Get the stage in order. <laughs> <laughs> Put down water, adjust mic, and be ready to go. Don't just start talking. Need to make eye contact with the crowd. Probably works better for Chelsea as she has bigger eyes. (laughs) This is based off your set. Five to 30 seconds. Get to a joke. Quick. Oh, my God. (laughs) Only have a few seconds to put up trust and assure that you're funny. Like, yes, that's very true. Right? <laughs> and, you know, we'll get into it when we talk about Gina in terms of like her rapid succession in stand up. But you know what it's like to just kind of like just be sitting around waiting to be activated. And yes. when I was on Women Crush Wednesdays, it was the first room that I was like, oh, fuck, I got to step it up. I can't just coast on personality anymore. It is time to like learn. I. I am so honored to like hear that and see those notes. And then also the way you just like immediately told me about your dad felt like this little door opening um, across all everyone doing comedy everywhere of like, 
we're going to get even realer and more vulnerable. And especially as women, the stuff that the audience won't really allow from you, we're going to change like what you're allowed to joke about. And I feel like we've been in that wave of comedy ever since, I hope. I don't know. Pandemic shifted things (laughs) a little, but. I had no idea what I was doing other than I kind of been talking in jokes my whole life and boys would always repeat things I say. So Mm, Yes, that's always a sign of a very funny woman. (laughs) (laughs) I was dating this guy who was in comedy and I stalked him on Twitter and he was just tweeting things that I was saying. (gasps) And I was like, what? What? So I confronted him and he was like, these tweets were going very viral. Okay, amazing. um, I was like, okay, uh, we need to talk about this. And then he called me crazy for looking him up on Twitter. And Mm -hmm. so the next day I went to... Sounds amazing. (laughs) Drop a full name. I'm I'm just kidding. Um, No, I'm taking a lesson from Gina. She's so classy about her grudges. She's very classy. Um, And then I just went to an open mic and I didn't look back. Okay, so then you, I I think... because I do, I want to angle this whole episode about comedy, uh, especially because we did discuss a lot of Gina's book on the first episode. And so what I think was really great about what you did is that you were not afraid to make connections and make friends really unabashedly. And you, not only did you like walk straight up and introduce yourself to me, but you stayed in touch in a really lovely way. You have been one of my like most amazing supporters. Like you lift me up when I feel down, like you've supported the podcast. You've come to other live shows of mine. And I feel like from that, we grew this like really beautiful relationship and you became a member, you became a cookie. And I sent you Gina's book when I was giving books away to the first members of our our Patreon. And you were one of them. And that has, um, you're so supportive, not only to me, but to like so many comedians. And I, and I think it's something that should really be talked about. I think, thank you so much. Um, when you sent me this book, I had just come back from, um, spending my very first Christmas with my, um, my parents against the law. (laughs) They're not, we're not married. uh So it's not cool. Like outlaws, like in-laws, outlaws. No. Oh, I see. My boyfriend needs to know it's against the law. It's wrong that we're not engaged yet. (laughs) (laughs) This is a running bit Allie does on our social media. It's very funny. Um, I had just come back from Connecticut and, um, had just listened to the New Year's podcast. It was December 30th, 2021. You did the episode with Gina and I was listening to it and I came home and then this book was at my house. Oh my God. Yeah. If that, is that, is this our psychic moment? <laughs> I think That's cosmic so. as hell. Oh, I, I really love that Allie. And I, and I love that we are doing Gina's book. Me too. So, okay. So let's dive in. I want to just mention kind of like a brief overview in case you didn't hear the New Year's episode, but Gina is, she's from the UK. So she's British. The book is called Cat Handed because she's left-handed, but it's also, you know, a little bit about doing things, uh, you know, left of center, the, the way that they're not always done. And she's also Nigerian. And in the book, she writes about how she's a Nigerian who people never think is Nigerian because she like doesn't uphold the customs and traditions the way they want. But the book contents, uh, her mom always has these sayings, but her chapter titles are sayings her mom said. So one is like, man is like pepper. You only know him when you've ground him. (laughs) Um, A snake can only give birth to long things. What's another one? It is not what you are called, but what you answer to. If you sleep with an itching anus, you will definitely wake up with your hands smelling. (laughs) That's my favorite one. (laughs) Um, And it's just like, yeah, all these deeper sayings. And I mean, she was feisty. She was, she was feisty just, you know, which obviously you and I love. 
But what I also love is that she didn't find comedy till later in life. Right. And first became the first female elevator engineer (laughs) (laughs) for like this huge elevator company when she was 19 years old. Well, what I I love about that whole section when she's talking about Otis is how she's like, and it's Otis. The best kind of like, what the fuck is Otis? Yeah, you're like, okay. (laughs) But it's, it's crazy to think of her in that position and but still being the first female lift engineer in the company's history. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And and just what an accomplishment that is and also she it's so interesting because she gets called a diversity hire and like not behind her back, you know, directly to her face all of the guys who fix the elevators are white, so all the engineers are like white dudes. So she's made fun of for being a woman. She's made fun of for being a black woman. And then she gets into comedy and the exact same thing happens to her. And I was like, what a, what beautiful poetry to the idea that like the, the whole world's injustice. There's no, <laughs> there's no job you can have where you're not, where, I mean, obviously we hope it changes prayers up, <laughs> but currently there's no job you can have where you won't hear this in some form or fashion. And weirdly, it prepared her for comedy, which, dare I say, was worse. Do you think the comedy stuff was worse? Absolutely. I think because she had the engineering prowess already, she was so confident with the engineering and they were still fucking with her. And I mean, it's like in comedy, you have the same thing, but because she is so... Did you listen to the audiobook, by the way? That's I did the book no, and the uh, audiobook I read it. Okay. at the same time. It was... An experience. I love the way she talks. A little DP. Uh, <laughs> double penetration for the brain. And I will say it is the best way if you really want to soak a person in audiobook plus plus pages. And it keeps you immediately present in their story. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, when she's talking about, you know, the guy, Timothy, who was working with her on the sites, who then later she sees in the comedy club as she's performing. And he wasn't there to see her. No. He had just come and sat in the audience and go ahead. But can I tell you that when I read about Timothy, I was like, oh, this guy is like such a closeted stand-up. He just, because he's always making, in the book, he's always making like super racist jokes. And what I found really interesting is she talks about the difference, the subtle differences between British racism and American racism, where if you are experiencing British racism, you often don't know it until you like feel the sting of racism, whereas <laughs> Americans are just like straight up racist. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so he's making all these horrible, horrible jokes to her. And she's like, you know what? I got a brother. And if you want to keep talking like that, we're going to have a problem. And then he never talked to her again. Cut yes. to being in the comedy club. She's on stage and he is in the audience. Here's where she's better than me. D- just... L- Treated him like a regular audience person. I'd have yes. been like, listen to you, motherfucker. <laughs> right I, away. The penny- yeah, I'd be like, oh, I guess my set is about Timothy now. Yeah, it would have completely derailed me. Yeah. Especially that early on. Absolutely. Because she becomes a successful stand-up comedian within a year. Yes. A single year, which um, I think is such a testament to her talent, but also her, like, kind of that we're talking about that brazen confidence of like just forcing yourself to get up there and do it. And what's amazing about that night is that she does her set. Then the host comes back on stage and it's, it's a show where they would, they, if you're really good, you'll be offered a pain spot and to come back regularly. 
after that set, he comes on stage and he says, she was really good, right? I should give her a paying gig. And she becomes like <laughs> the next leveled up comedian that night with Timothy in the audience. Just chef's kiss of an yeah. experience. You know what yes. I mean? While still, you know, Gina, she definitely acts like a person who doesn't want to disrespect or embarrass her mother. Uh, so I think I'm a little too mad at my mom to not want to embarrass her. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you actually, you know what? On her episode, we talked about how uh, in America, defamation. So if she wrote about this book in, in America, like someone said something about her sister and her mom. Yes. Oh, the two versions thing. Yes, the two so versions there's a of the book. different version in the UK because in America, if you if if you're like sued for defamation, um, the person who is suing you has to prove it's defamation, it's not true, blah blah blah, and so you can you can you can go buck wild. In the UK, <laughs> um, she would have to pay for it and prove it, and so it's like different books are going around, different versions of like what she's printed, <laughs> and and even though even still, she's like really respectful to her mom. Um, in in a way that also impressed it. But I have to tell you, I am, if you, if you have listened to every episode of this podcast, you know what journey I'm on. Yes. It, is, it is the journey of grudges. And right now I am trying to collect stories of people um, being exalted while their enemy is burned at the stake through no <laughs> will or force of their own. Meaning it happens, you're mad, but you're graceful. You take the high road that Michelle Obama is saying, <laughs> you know, I've heard about it. I've looked out, at, I lo I've looked up at the high road as I've stayed <laughs> on the low road. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen the high road too from the subterranean uh, ATV <laughs> I'm driving through hell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... But the idea being that if you take the high road like Gina, Timothy is going to show up in the audience in the night you become a paid comedian. And so I'm 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 gathering stories like that to <laughs> sort of become the stepping stool to the high road. It's you know I have to read books like The Art of Nonviolent Communication, and <laughs> <laughs> like it's not taking quite yet. Um, but I but you'll you'll get there. I God I hope so because reading Gina's book. What I love about her stories and her comedy about being Nigerian or feeling other in Nigeria, feeling other in England, her goal was America, which I think yeah. is hilarious. Um, but also like, yeah, this is where you can come and say whatever you want without <laughs> without consequences. Of and I'm glad Gina's doing it as opposed to all the other people um, Absolutely. who, who but, like, are also doing it. And like, I know that we just, you know, in her childhood, I think that's kind of the roots of stand-up. You can trace it back to childhood. You know, she was talking about how, you know, when all that horrible stuff with her stepfather and... Which, by the way, she calls him Step Bastard. Step Bastard, which I think is... And I said, how do I lift that? <laughs> <laughs> step Bastard. She's like, and then the Step Bastard did this, then the Step Bastard married my mom. <laughs> but also like not, it's, again, it's not that violent. It, as it could have been. And when what yeah. I loved about the episode you did with her was she said, you know, a lot of those stories aren't mine to tell. So I stuck to, well, I know, again, I was like, class act, because I'd be ratting on everyone. I, yeah. <laughs> I was raised with snitching. 12 boys, born into jail. Like, so when she was talking about how, how her and her brothers were like a little gang and that room, she would go into her brother's room and that's kind of where she learned the art of shit talking before they knew what roasting was. Yeah, um, yeah. That's, that's, that's your training ground. You're so right. And also, 
once you have stood on the stairs with your siblings, linking arms to protect your mother from being hit by your step bastard, you surely can go to an open mic. Yeah. And I have found that true in my life as well, where it's like, listen, listen, sure, it'll suck, but it won't be the thing that has sucked the most in life. In fact, it might, you know, you might not feel it at all comparatively. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, uh, the open miking experience is not for the tenderhearted, but (laughs) it is one of the worst things you can ever experience in your lifetime. If, if you go as an audience member, <laughs> attend an open mic as, a, as one of the three people sitting in the audience and you will have the worst night of your life. Imagine standing up there. Whew. Well, I told my boyfriend, because he's a stand-up as well. I said, open mics do not count as a date, even if you pay for me. It's not. It's not <laughs> even if you pay the two drink minimum. That's good. That's a. That's the opposite of a date. But now the um, open mic system is completely different. Now it's like a pay to play. It's a pay to play game. And I've everywhere. Basically, like if you want to get up and if you want to get your reps in, um, I, you know, you know, the drill, you usually go to some bar, pay two drinks, write your name on the receipt. It either gets pulled out of the bucket or it doesn't. Right. And you're there all fucking night long. There goes all of your Your night. Yeah. now the model is um, they use this website called Slotted where you sign up for five minute slots and pay five minutes and you sit in a room for 55 minutes with 10 other comics and they call your name and then you do the set. And it feels like school. And as a dropout, <laughs> I was not feeling it. But what it did do was force people in the room to stay while I did my set instead of going to smoke a cigarette. Yeah. So then yeah. that's how I got booked was because people... Because people were forced to watch yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> but what I love about um, Gina's first, like, real stand-up set that she does is because her um, sketch and or slash improv team did not show up. Yes. And also, she <laughs> they wrote... She basically wrote one sketch. Right. and then And then two girls came on to perform it. And then they just performed that one <laughs> sketch everywhere which is so funny that it's just it's just not this how the sketch scene is and then yeah they go they ghost her one night and so and yeah and so she does stand up and crushes night one she had something and I think it's also very clear when you like even on the episode just listening to her you're like oh very clearly you can go off the cuff um and the MC approached her. I'm going to read the quote. He approached her after the show and said, you're a stand-up, he told me. You don't need the other two <laughs> you girls. You don't need the other two girls. And then she said, I left them the way I left everything, pushed them away, and made them leave me first, <laughs> um, which we love the honesty. I also, uh, to take a quick detour from comedy, we didn't speak about it on the episode a lot, but basically her experience finding out uh, she's a lesbian. And I, I want to read this page. So she's at, at this club and this woman comes over to her and, and she hits on her and Gina says, I, I'm not a lesbian. Really? She looks me up and down, assessing me slowly. With my baggy jeans and tee, my sneaks and my shaved head with blonde dreads poking out the top like a pineapple, I could understand her confusion. I tried to clarify. Yeah, we all dress like this in England. Oh, that's why you speak funny, she laughed. I was indignant. No, you speak funny, I countered. I'm from England and we're speaking English. So then later she says, come with me. And she thinks she just wants to talk. And she pulls her into the bathroom and then pulls her to a stall. <laughs> she shut the door behind us, pushed me against the wall, and kissed me passionately. Holy shit, I felt an excitement I had never felt with any of the guys I'd been with, and I was terrified. I was too shocked to kiss her back, but she was unperturbed. Eventually, she pulled back. You like that, huh? I just stared, dumbfounded. Honey, you're a lesbian. You just don't know it yet. And with that, she took a pen and scrap of paper from her purse, scribbled a number, squeezed it into my hand, and walked out of the cubicle. <laughs> but... And and that goes into uh, this this 
how it comes up in her comedy career where because of her, I think she specifically says because of her Nigerian mom, her Nigerian background, um, they had like very, her mom had like very like homophobic views and, and she culturally felt like she couldn't be a lesbian. And so she says she tries many times with men. She's like, please let me be like, let's, let's do this and just can never be interested in them. And so then she, so then she realizes that she's gay, but she is not out to her mom. She doesn't put any right. of it in her act and she's hiding it from everyone. And she has this like secret and stand-up comedians begin to pounce on it because she's getting so successful. <laughs> so she's like crushing at shows and doing great. And so then they start gossiping and whispering like, oh, we heard you're gay. We heard you're a lesbian. Like as if it was, uh, you know, a threat. In that whole section, it was the guys who were shit-stirring. Like, it was yeah. guys on her own show who were shit-stirring. It's the, the whole feud thing, right? I don't know what it is about men and why they love to get off on making us mad at each other. But yeah. <laughs> it's really gross, and please stop. Um, but she, yeah, I remember specifically this part where she's talking about this comic, Helen, who they are bringing on the show, and the boys just want them to hate each other. So they rile them up, and they bring up to her that, Helen is talking about her sexuality, blah, blah, blah. And then she gets violent. She punches Helen she in the face. She punches Helen in the face, which I've wanted to do so many times to people. <laughs> uh, yes, but you didn't. But I didn't, but I didn't. Um, and in that moment, I was just like, oh my God, no one is exempt. No one is exempt from this kind of treatment. Yeah. People really could smell her magic. And it is yes. such a threat. And and the way that she is confident in herself, in the way that she takes up space and she knows she's entitled to this space, I think that's a lot to do with being fucking born in England and being Nigerian and having people say, you're not English. Yes, yes, I fucking am. I was born and raised here. I am more British than I am Nigerian at this point. Yeah, and I think also if she wasn't good... They wouldn't have done that. Right. She wasn't good. They wouldn't have cared that she was gay. It's that taking of space. It's being successful. It's having that magic. That's why they care. Yeah. They don't actually care about the thing. And I, I have found that sentiment is alive and well <laughs> in comedy currently. That's, that lives on. However, I have a question for you because yes. you are younger. So I, I feel like I came up in comedy on sort of the last gasp of there can only be one meaning woman. And I was on, I was on improv teams. And so it'd be nine men <laughs> and one woman and every, everybody white. That was what it was. There could only be one. And I remember wanting to write a sketch. Did I ever do it? I can't remember, but it was just like a uh, three men looking at the window of a, of a room of women, like fighting and gossiping about each other and being catty and being competitive or whatever. And they're just like, wow, women are so catty. Like <laughs> God. Blah, blah. And then one of them walks out of the room and they're like, okay, we'll only be hiring one of you today. Uh, you know, <laughs> interviews are like five minutes at a time or whatever. I don't know if that translates audio-wise, but the idea being that I, I remember being so competitive at the beginning because there could only be one. And like, I was never vicious. I did not punch a Helen in the face. <laughs> sure wish, sure wish I could go back in time and do it now. But I, I was always like looking out, like there will only be one of us and I have to work 10 times harder and da-da-da. Do you feel that with women in comedy now that maybe we are banding together and being like, how do we take over 50% of the spots here? Right, right. I think there are a lot of people right now who are trying to 
make more room for us women and to kind of erase that scarcity mentality. You know, there's a new comedy club that opened up in Santa Monica called The Crow that's very female-driven and female-oriented. But for me, I'm like, I want to, I can't wait to do a show that doesn't have the word diversity or ladies in it. Like, I, yes, yeah. I, I just love the effort that's being put out. Like, girls will be like, hey, you know, that I meet at Mike's. They'll be like, hey, I'm going to go to this mic and then we'll all meet up. And it's just like, such a beautiful, beautiful thing. I think the barrier to entry has always been so low for stand up. We have just been let in on it, how low this fucking barrier is to entry. Because it, it's an intimidating thing, especially yeah. if you're like, I want to do stand up. I want to do this. Gina was also like, she had to have that, like, I, I want to say it's like aggression in a positive way. She calls it cocky confident. And because she, everyone would put her down, they would try not to laugh at her jokes. They just hated that she was doing so well. And haters, uh, I mean, the hater hate is so strong. The whole time I was reading this, I was like, my God, the hatred. But do you know what is so, uh, it's not funny. I guess you should probably say it's sad. Uh, but what's so funny is watching someone like h- hate on someone else so badly or, or even just a little bit, and then that person gets famous. And who's in, who's in the Instagram comments? <laughs> yeah. Little Miss Hater. <laughs> now they're too famous for you to hate. They, they were successful. They were more successful than you. You hated them. Now they're wildly famous. Now you need them. Now we're commenting on it, their Instagram. Well, and I'm sure you see that in your circles a lot. Like as you see people popping, you know, uh, like in big, huge ways. I get to see it on the micro level <laughs> of like an open micer who tapes their own special. And then you, you know, it does really well. And then people who were haters before are all of a sudden super, super big fans of this person. Um, yeah. Also, like... What I love about your podcast, I do follow along every step of the way. And your um, episode with Gina was also the episode that you announced that you have a book deal and you're writing a book. I forgot about that. <laughs> it was, you were doing your highlights. You were doing your your highlights. And that was like, I was crying. I was bawling my eyes out because I was just like, I can't wait to read Chelsea's book one day. And here it is. It's happening. Um, yeah. And as I inched toward that, you know, I just recently got repped and I am just over the moon because stand-up has always been a vehicle for me to get into a room. I Singing, performing, all that, I, I'm sweating right now. I am just not meant for the stage I want to write. And um, getting a lit rep is just that step towards that. And it's one of those things, too, where I very much am aware that this is just me being invited to base camp. And now I get to climb this mountain with a green light from the industry, you know, or for, from someone. Otherwise I'm just like writing in notebooks like a psycho. Um, But you've really been putting in the work. And I, I also know by putting in the work, it also means like facing the hard moments and you have faced those and you you have pushed through them. And like, I just want to highlight that for anyone listening, like, and it often takes it take, it always takes longer than you want it to take. Well, not always. Gina was crushing. (laughs) Gina was crushing. Okay, this feels like a good time to take a quick break. Sibling fights are unavoidable. But what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondry's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sydney Battle and Matt Balasai. 
Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life, and I can't believe it, but I got to write my own, and it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it, and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes. Some are motherfucking villains. But you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Okay, welcome back. Let's continue the conversation. But I will say after Gina, so after she starts to like, do really well she gets on this show which i cannot believe the name this is where i'm like this must be uk culture i'm not sure it's called blouse and skirt yep and i want to read this she said the first season of blouse and skirt was one of the most demoralizing and loneliest times in my life with such a low budget for the show there were no writers and since i had no experience in writing topical material for a tv show having been in the business under a year i crowbarred my stand-up material into my answers therefore using up all my good bits and finding myself frantically writing more stuff for my live performances and then everyone all the producers only laugh at like the dude host I also love that she highlighted that, like, you get this first break. Like, you're in. Like, you're right. on a TV show. You're this great stand-up. And then it's the saddest, loneliest time of your life. I can also that's, – that's also been true with many of my successes, too, of, like – which is so sad because you're like, <laughs> I don't want young Chelsea to hear that, you know? <laughs> right. Like, keep going, girl. But um, I feel like she could take it, But it can though. be hard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. It can, be, it can be really hard even when it's really great. Absolutely. And the great stuff the, – the worst lesson I've ever learned, and I relearn it all the <laughs> time <laughs> which is that you're just never done no you can be and like oh my god I'm so successful it's all up from here and then it's like actually no prove yourself again <laughs> you're like oh okay yeah well yeah if you think about it as every step up is just you being on the last the very first step of the next step like it's a it's like the Mayan fucking you know temples like step 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 you're gonna be at the bottom Damn. of every step you rise up I think that was really beautifully said. <laughs> thank That's you. Very spiritual. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I love this part of the book because she is like, look, 
this is the start of like an onslaught of disappointments, personally, even if it's the height of my career. And what I love about that passage you just read is that she, you know, gets iced out of laughs from producers. But when the show is being taped, the audience is laughing. And so she was like, that's when I learned to trust the audience. And I never did my jokes in rehearsal again. Yeah, which is also wild. I, I love know. that. You I, know what I, mean? I would always be like, I'll do them still. Um, <laughs> well, I'm from theater and like performance. Is there a way to mark jokes? Like, can you just like, yeah, <laughs> which I, yeah, I, I, I think that is such a good point. The other part that I really loved that she talked about is that she said she was like destroying with black crowds. Um, and by watch, she would like go up at a festival, she would destroy. And then the person who would get booked would always be someone who spoke more to white crowds right. or who had like, she felt sort of removed any, like if you close their eyes, you wouldn't know it was like a black comic speaking per the content. And so she started dividing her shows with black audiences. She would do material talking about her life with white audiences. She would do more generalized bits. And then finally she gets this manager and he says like, why are you hiding yourself every time you go in front of white audiences? Why do white audiences get all the shit bits (laughs) and you're saving all the good stuff? And she decides from then on, she is always going to be herself when she's performing, no matter where she is. It it was even down to like being largely, like having big physical gestures on stage was considered like Nigerian comedy or black comedy and that she shouldn't do that like in front of white audiences, which is just like, have you seen Dane Cook? (laughs) (laughs) Not lately. Um, But it's It's really fair. I cannot believe how seen I I'm fucking not Nigerian I'm Filipino but it's not about being Nigerian it's about this like very specific otherness that she felt and in that otherness being able to articulate that comedically safely she gets to be Gina Yashiri like show you know it's it's mind-blowing and and her anger is almost It's not like wasted anger. You know, they say that anger is such a wasted emotion. You get all riled up. It is the most productive anger I I have ever seen. I think that's such a good point. I, um, when, when Gina talks about her reverence to her grandmother, which she also uses as a scapegoat for her lesbianism, which I think is hilarious because. Yes, she believes she's, or the whole family believes her grandma reincarnated as Gina. Yes. And she specifically says I want to come back as someone who is unencumbered by men, who doesn't have to, you know... Yeah, and I want to have a male profession, and I want to travel the world. There you go. And and they have the exact same birthmark. Yes. And she's like, I am my grandma, and like, sorry, I'm gay, but it's grandma, actually. (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do, be mad at granny? That's That's the best. And her mom just, like, is quiet after that. And also, like, Gina shares just... At at one point, she said she was getting uh, pulled over by the police three times a week. Yes, and because she drove a BMW. Yeah, yes. because she brought a brand new car and they were following her around because they decided based on what she looked like that she did not deserve to be in that car. Yeah. And so they would follow her around up to the point where she just decided like, I'm not going to fucking stop anymore. I'm not doing anything. So she just keeps going. When she makes this decision, it is the day that she is followed by a giant white van filled with like six police officers and they follow her until she stops and they arrest her for failing to stop. She gets thrown in jail overnight. Her purse is open in the car. She gets recognized when she's arrested, goes to jail, sits all night. They let her out with nothing. She doesn't even know how to get home. 
And then she takes them to court. And it's very reminiscent of when her mother takes that guy to court when she was a child who beats up a little girl for leaning against his car. That's right. Um, Okay, we have to now get into this where she's doing well, but she hasn't exploded. She's not like wildly famous. She hasn't broken into America. She, She needs more. And she hears about a little show called Last Comic Standing. And she gets into the auditions and then she makes it into the very uh, final round of, and she's cast on the show. And I want to read the names of her season. I put my face in my hands and thanked the heavens, then stood up to take my place on stage with the other finalists, Amy Schumer, Matt Kirshen, Dante, Deborah Giovanni, John Reap, Lavelle Crawford, Doug Benson, Ralph Harris, and Jerry D. And then Gina writes this. She says, uh, they offered her this like two year work visa. Right. So basically she can do the show and then she can stay, she can stay in America for two years. And she said, my plan was to turn that visa into a green card and then finally into a U.S. citizenship. I was confident I could do it. My plan was to win Last Comic Standing, use the $250,000 prize money to buy a lovely apartment in L.A. and then tour the U.S. going on to TV stardom. And then she, it's just a page and a quarter later, she ends the book and says, as I boarded the plane to my new destiny, I smiled, recalling the last thing my mom had said to me when I'd gone to wish her farewell. I always knew you were the crazy one. Just remember, you have an elderly mother back here. Take care of yourself and do not give me a heart attack. (laughs) And then when you get to the epilogue, she says, I've never read an epilogue in my life. Who wants to read more book after they've read the book? So I'm just going to say goodbye. I hope you enjoyed my story. In fact, I hope enough of you enjoyed it so much that there is a demand to hear the next chapter of my story. So much more to tell. If not, it was a fun ride while it lasted. Peace. I just love her. She is like mic dropping a book, you know? Yeah, she is (laughs) mic dropping a book. But yeah, what a great story. The way she sort of stumbles into comedy and then takes it over and like she's just really out there. Just paying it forward. Like like doing all the things she always wanted to do and paying it forward. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. She's kind of on my Mount Crushmore. Like I, <laughs> it changes. That is too cute. <laughs> you better immediately start a podcast called Mount Crushmore. I, I, it changes all the time, but like, I just kind of got really obsessed with her voice. And she has one of those voices that you want her to just say everything. Yeah. Also, I love how her book deal came from Instagram. Right. Um, and I loved that story. Yep. And like, again, the algorithm never gives because it wants to give. The algorithm gives because you were pouring your bone marrow into yeah, it. Truly. And I have this bit where it's like, there are two things that you should never fake, orgasms and laughs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I can't think of a better way to end the podcast. <laughs> so let's do the book deal test. Okay. First question. Was the author vulnerable? Did they share their truth? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Uh, not not only that, but like we have the inside baseball to know that she fired that ghostwriter and did the whole thing herself. <laughs> okay. Second question. Was it entertaining to read? Yes. It was entertaining yes. to read without the audiobook and then enhanced with the audiobook. I would say, yeah, her, she has such an exuberant personality. I feel like audiobook uh, trumps book in this case. Anyone yeah. who's a good performer, their audiobook just always wins. Okay. Last question. Did reading this book elevate your life in any way? Yes, it did. Absolutely, it did. It elevated my drive to be better than I am currently. And it's okay to like feel all of that shit, all that anger. Just make it productive. How do we turn it into fuel? How can I be like the Tesla of anger? Allie, I put it on a mug, sent it to my house. (laughs) So I can drink coffee out of it every morning while I seethe with rage over whatever happened the previous night before. I... 
cannot tell you how much I needed to read that and hear that from you uh, today, especially. Yeah. Um, so we continue our cosmic connection uh, <laughs> because I really, uh, when I was sending books out to the first people who signed up on the Patreon, hot plug, sign up for the Patreon. Um, I was like, you know, like my hands over tarot cards. Like, what is the book? What is the book? And it was this one. And I'm, I'm just so happy it brought us together. No, you send the books that I needed. Not the book that yes, I wanted. You, know you sent me I the book in. that I needed. So I just, I have so much love for you. I have so much love for this book. Allie, speaking of, tell people where they can find you, follow you, and support your work. Awesome. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at a loser a l u z e r or on TikTok at extra large petite. Uh, I also do a podcast with my boyfriend. It's a weekly recap of Alaska Daily called Alaska Daily Weekly. Anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, Allie, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for being in my life. Thank you so much for introducing yourself the way you did that night. And um, I'm just, I'm just so happy that we have each other. And thank you for being on. Thank you. And you can support this podcast by signing up for Patreon. The link is in the show notes. It takes literally two seconds. We send you a link that just comes to your phone and bonus episodes will pop up like normal. We also have these emails of photographs that go with the books. We have a chat. We have a live book club. Go to Patreon, support us, dollar a month, $5 a month. There's a ton of stuff over there. And I'll see you guys soon for another episode. Bye.